morning, good morning. My name is Steve. I am the lead pastor. Thanks for joining us this morning. We are in week four of our Harvest of Grace sermon series, right? And this week we're going to be changing gears a little bit. We spent the first three weeks focused on our need to be generous, and, and that's not an overstatement. We need to be, to be generous. Um, uh, it's not only good for us to be generous, right? Our generosity is not just a blessing to others. It is essential for us, uh, for us to grow in grace. We have to jump into the flow of grace in order to grow in grace, right? It, it is not enough to simply receive grace. We must give in generosity because it is in the giving that we grow in the experience, right? We are enriched as we learn uh, to love others as God has loved us. Uh, we looked at Jesus' command in Luke chapter 12 uh, about uh, where he said, take care and, and keep on your guard, right? Against all covetousness, right? Keep your eyes open and be careful, right? Look, because it's sneaky, and be careful because it's dangerous against all greed because it makes promises it can't keep. And not only does it make promises that it can't keep, it will ultimately make promises that will lead you away from your hope in the gospel. It will lead you to trust the wrong things, to put your hope in the wrong things, to seek the fullness and flourishing of life in this world instead of the Creator of this world. It will go for your heart, not just your wallet. I gave you a specific invitation to be generous with us, right? We are in a season where we as a community are pushing into generosity, into shared sacrifice in order to experience a shared blessing through our capital campaign. Our uh, We've entitled it Flourish. And uh, so I'm inviting you to join the rest of Trailhead community and, and to jump in. We're a little over halfway through, uh, and you still have a chance to join and make a significant contribution to an important goal. We are working forward toward a worthwhile goal of paying off our building so that we can free up um, significant money for the work of the gospel. We've detailed all of that over the previous weeks. Um, and so it's a worthwhile goal, but more than that, it is... Uh, worth it for you. It is a. It is good for you to give, right? In fact, you will be more blessed by giving than you will by keeping. That is biblical, <laughs> and it is true. And so, I am inviting you once again uh, to, as a steward of all that has God has God has entrusted to you, to come before Him in prayer and ask Him what He would have you do with the resources that He has entrusted to you. And then I'm asking you to take a step of faith in the God who is faithful. And, uh, and simply do what he leads you to do, right? So we're giving you a chance to be blessed by joining us in the Flourish campaign. And so um, I did ask you last week to pray about it and, and fill out the pledge card uh, if that was how Lord, the Lord was leading you, right? It is important not just to give, but it's important to us for you to pledge. It is also important for you uh, because it makes you um, part of the community, right? It is, it is, it brings it out of simply a personal conviction into the area of, of accountability with the community and shared uh, effort with the community. And so if you have the pledge card this morning, um, you can just drop it in one of the buckets. You can take it con- to connection point uh, after the service. Um, if you need one of the pledge cards, uh, they were distributed around the room, but you can go to connection point and grab one there and uh, 
thank you for praying, right? And thank you for receiving the invitation to be part of this shared effort. So over the first three weeks, we've had a call to generosity, right? A call to sow generously as an act of spiritual warfare against the greed that is continually seeking to enslave our hearts. Over the next four weeks, we're going to be looking at the blessing of generosity, um, the harvest of grace that comes when we are generous, right? What we have been able to do for the good of the kingdom through our shared generosity. And specifically, we're going to be looking at the area of church planting. Now, there are a lot of things that we can look at. We can look at at, at ways we have been a blessing to our community, ways we have partnered with organizations in our community that are making very real inroads and impacts into areas of poverty, need, and things like that. We could be talking about our efforts into global mission, right? The fact that we have supported um, part-time and full-time workers around the world, hundreds of them, over the last 10 years uh, in East Asia, Kyrgyzstan, Honduras, Colombia, uh, really all over the world. Um, but we are going to be focusing specifically on church planting because um, that is one of our passions, right? We are a church planting church, and we were sent out by a church planting church, right? The journey over in St. Louis is our parent church. I was on staff with them as the director of family ministries and the family pastor. Um, and then through a series of prayers and situations, uh, they partnered, right? They came alongside me and said, Steve, we believe God is leading you to do this. We prayed about it, received that call. Uh, they sent us out to the Metro East, ultimately to plant Trailhead Church, which we did in 20. 11, right? The journey sent us out with blessing, with coaching, with relationship, with finances, with resources, right? They were our parent church, and we are a parent church. In 2014, we birthed our first daughter church. Uh, we sent out Corey and Andrea Johnston uh, to plant Heights Church in Collinsville, just south of us. It is now a thriving local church, um, Two years later, in 2016, on the anniversary of our sending out uh, Corey and Andrea to uh, to plant Heights, we commissioned Aaron and Joni Parks to plant Access Church in Troy. And now in 2021, we are commissioning uh, Brian and Melinda Pacheco to plant a church in Phoenix, Arizona. Um, so this is our pattern. This is who we are. And, uh, and I want to take the opportunity to reintroduce this because um, uh, I, these are things that get, to, you know, when people come, if they come between these, these big events, uh, it is easy to miss that this is our passion, right? Uh, when we started Trailhead Church, I, I had a number of hopes. I had a number of hopes, but, but some of them were, were around this, right? I, I really hoped and prayed that we would uh, birth before we built and we did, right? We sent out our first church plant before we bought our first building. And, um, uh, and, and I hoped that ultimately we would be a community that measured um, our significance, our success, not by our seating capacity, but by our sending capacity. That we would recognize it's not how much we have that measures how successful and health, healthy we are as a community, but, but how much we give that we are faithful with God, with what God has entrusted to us to, uh, to continually reinvest into the work of the gospel. And so as we, we come to the end, we're, we're coming up on our 11th anniversary and, 
And three times uh, we have sent out daughter churches, or coming up on it. Three times we have sent out great leaders. Three times we've given away our best. We've given away our best leaders. We have given away our best volunteers. We have given away our best givers. Three times I have looked at these leaders and told them, if you can lead them, you can take them. You have absolute freedom to meet with as many people as you want and to recruit as many people as you want. And if you can cast a clear enough and compelling enough vision, you can take my whole church, right? Three times um, we have said, we're not asking you uh, to, to pay attention to how much they give, right? And as a result, they have often taken some of our best givers. And so three times, every time we give birth, it's an impact on our budget. Every time. We just, every time there's a tightening of the belt, every time there's sacrifice that has to be made. Um, not just because we give away our best givers, which actually is more costly, but by also the investment of our own reserves and money into the work. Um, three times we have given away our most sacrificial volunteers. Because often the people that are going are, are the people that are most bought into the mission of the church, which means they're already incredibly active serving the local church. And so often it is the leaders who are left who feel the greatest impact as their teams are depleted, as some of their most faithful and consistent volunteers uh, leave. Um, and each time I have to call our community to say goodbye to some of their dearest friends. Because we're not just sending out givers and we're not just sending out leaders and we're not just sending out volunteers. We're sending out people that are deeply embedded in our community. They are our friends. They are people we've prayed with and laughed with and wept with. These are people that have served us and people we have served. And each time I call our community to do it in joy to do it with a genuine spirit of generosity, to recognize that it is not a sacrifice, it is an investment, that we are doing the work of the gospel, and as such, we can trust God with the sacrifice. But we do come back around, and I am asked often, why are we doing this, Steve? Why are we doing this? Because here's the thing with sacrifice. We, we all love the idea of church planting. We don't necessarily love the sacrifice to make it happen. And, uh, and we all love the idea of generosity, but we all know that generosity at some point starts to feel irresponsible. When the sacrifice gets to a point where it really pinches and, and, and it creates genuine hardship, at that point we're like, wait, 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 wait. You're not meaning that generous, right? You don't mean, you don't mean we're going to give that much right? Come on, man. We got to be responsible. We need to be giving over what we have left over, not what we need first, right? That's irresponsible, (laughs) even though that's exactly what God tells us to do. Um, So why do we do it? Why do we do it when we can grow so much faster by keeping what we have and getting more? Why do we do it when, when we have to keep raising up leaders and keep training leaders and keep raising money and keep raising up um, volunteers only to give them away. Because it's the call of the gospel. That is the flow of grace. We give because we've received. And it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. 
from what I can tell, this is one of the most telling signs of a healthy community, a healthy church. The healthiest churches eagerly move towards sacrifice. The healthiest communities gravitate toward generosity. The healthiest churches give birth to other churches. And this has been true since the beginning of the church. So let's take a look at our text this morning. I'm going to take a few observations out of our text. um, And then we're going to talk a little bit more specifically about church planting. So take a look at Acts chapter 13. If you have our Bibles, flip over to Acts chapter 13. If you don't have a Bible, grab one off the chairs around you or open your apps. Acts chapter 13. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 3 in our Bibles. You're going over to page 921. 921. Acts chapter 13. Let's look at verses 1 through 3. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menen, a member of the court of Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping, The Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work from which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right. um, If there is one church, if there's any church in the New Testament that I hope Trailhead uh, models, pursues, and becomes like, it is the church at Antioch. The church at Antioch is by far um, one of the healthiest churches we see in the New Testament, one of the most inspirational. Um, They were countercultural in all the right ways. Um, They were crazy the way they believed the gospel and put it into practice. They had a, they had crazy diversity on their leadership team, that team that's listed in verse one. Uh, That was ridiculously unexpected and, and, and abnormal in, in this period of time. In this period of time, you stayed with your tribe. There was no value of diversity. You know what I'm saying? Like, like people didn't look at your, the diversity of your team and say, oh yeah, you're modeling that pretty well. They were like, what are you doing? Right? These are people that speak different languages. These are people that came from different parts of the world. These are people who had different cultural values. And yet they're coming together to lead in the same congregation. These are people that have, have um, not only cultural background differences, but significant socioeconomic differences. People that are coming from poverty and people that lived in wealth. And, and yet they're coming together uh, with an egalitarian mutuality in which they are seeing each other, loving each other, and leading together. I love that. Uh, it was so ridiculous, this church, uh, that, that the, the, the outside world, this is the first place they started calling them Christians. Uh, before this, they were followers of the way. That is what the early church called themselves. We are followers of the way. That's how they describe the gospel and following Jesus. Um, but because this crazy group that, that was abnormal and so unlike anything else in the world, they kept hearing them talk about Christos, 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 of course, Jesus Christ, they finally just started calling them Christians. They're like, these people, man, what is up with them? They are so weird. We have no word for them to describe what we're seeing. So we actually gave them a name, right? In the beginning, I don't know that it was meant to be a compliment, 
I don't know that it was meant to be an insult. It was just a word they came up with to describe it. After a while, uh, of course, Christians came to adopt that name for themselves. Like, yeah, that's pretty descriptive. We are followers of the Christ. We are those who are like Christ, right? They were passionate about um, helping people respond to grace and grow in the gospel, passionate about crossing um, ethnic and and socioeconomic lines um, to to see the blessing of Christ spread out, Um, they were compelling in their witness to their unbelieving community, right? To the point that, that, that the unbelieving community, in fact, are the ones that gave them their name, right? And then there's this. They didn't become content uh, to just grow healthy as a local church. They didn't grow content with, with raising up their own leaders and building up their own volunteers and increasing their own capacity. They stayed humble and they stayed hungry to be part of what God was doing in the world. So they met and they prayed. And as they met and as they prayed, God met them in that prayer and started convicting them that they should give away their best. Paul was an emerging teacher. Barnabas was his mentor. Both of them. Barnabas was, was uh, the son of encouragement. That's what his name means. He was ridiculously generous. He was known in the community for being generous with his resources, his time, his, his person. And, and he had, had brought Paul in, or Saul, uh, to be uh, his disciple, and he was mentoring him. And of course, Paul was, was one of these quick-rising leaders who was passionate for the gospel, who, who understood it, and, and God was working in him and through him in profound ways. And as they were praying, the Spirit of God said, give them away. Send them out. They're not yours to keep. Right? I didn't give them so that you could keep the blessing. I gave them so you could share the blessing. I didn't give them so that you could hoard the good. I gave them so that others could be blessed as you shared the good. So that others, through your generosity, might come to taste grace. So God made it clear. And in prayer, they received that clarity clarity, and laid hands on them. And they sent them out. This is the passage from which if you've, you've ever heard, are you an ordained minister? This is, this is ordination, right? Different, different groups, different tribes call it different things. Commendation, ordination, um, setting aside for the gospel. It, it, there's a lot of ways that this has been described. But what's happening here is that the parent church is laying their hands on these servants and saying, we are going to send them out. We are going to support them. We're going to coach them. We're going to invest in them. We're going to give them whatever they need in our capacity so that they can go out and be a blessing to others. So Antioch became the home base. They were the sending church. So when we talk about Paul, the, the great missionary of the New Testament, the great church planter of the New Testament, that's really what he was. He went from place to place to place um, planting churches, right? And, and, and throughout his missionary journeys, Antioch was his home base. Antioch was his community uh, from which he, he worked. And, um, and so as they committed themselves to the work of church planting, Antioch uh, became really the fertile soil from which this blessing grew. And what's so funny is everybody hears of Paul, but unless you're a student of the Scriptures, you probably don't even know about Antioch. 
unless you're actually studying Acts and looking at the way the blessing of grace flowed, Antioch just kind of disappears into the background in a gloriously beautiful way. Antioch is the fruitful soil from which this incredible tree of grace grew that, that was a blessing to many, including us. And that's exactly what I believe the local church is called to be. Fruitful soil for the growth of blessing. So Antioch sent out some of their best leaders, their best givers, their best servants. Why? Because it is more blessed to give than to receive. So we're getting ready to send out Brian and Melinda um, Pacheco. And, and um, I know a lot of you know Brian and Melinda. They've been around for a decade. Uh, Brian helped me plant the church. He has been one of the most faithful uh, servants in the church. But I know many of you have come uh, to the church um, long after Brian did. And you only know him as our worship leader. Um, and so this morning, I'm going to take the opportunity to introduce Brian to you. We're going to do something that's a little bit different this morning. I'm actually going to ask Brian to come up. I'm going to interview him. We're going to have a conversation uh, for the goal of, of uh, inviting you in, right? This is a rich, deep, meaningful experience for me. Um, of all of our church plants, this one is, is, I would say, the most personal for me uh, as a spiritual father in this church. And, um, and I want you to be part of that. Uh, I want you to be invested in that. Um, because not only is it more blessed to give than to receive, but the more you have invested in the giving, the more blessing you receive in it. So let's, yeah. let's talk. Let's grab these chairs. Yep. I'm going to move this over here because that's a thing. Oh. Hello? Guys, say good morning to Brian. Hey, guys. I don't know if you know, but this is Brian Pacheco. He is... uh, I'm a new face. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Brian is our worship leader, and uh, in case you haven't quite picked up on it yet, we are getting ready to send Brian and Melinda Pacheco out to plant a church in Phoenix, Arizona. Um, He is in the final lap of ministry with Trailhead Church. Uh, He will be sent out... Uh, in December. Um, so he has already sold his home. Um, they are now homeless. Yes. Almost, currently. Almost or we, currently? We, we are currently, ho- well, we'll close this, this later this month on okay. the, well, November. We're looking for a home. So if you have one. In Phoenix. In Phoenix. <laughs> you'd be willing to part with. <laughs> We'd love it. Yeah. Yeah, so as you can guess, anyway, we'll, we'll get into that. You can guess. The, the, the market here is great. So yeah, he got a pretty good price for his house, but the market there is even better, uh, which means uh, that's not a whole lot of an advantage. Um, all right, so I just want you to get to know Brian. That's the bottom line. This morning, I want you to get to know Brian. I want you to get to know a little bit about this guy that I have invested in uh, a decade of my life. Of, of discipleship energy. Um, he has invested in me and in this church for a decade, um, and we are ridiculously excited about sending him out to be a blessing to others. Um, so let's start here. Uh, how did you come to know Christ? Why don't you share a little bit about that story? Yeah. So um, when I was a younger guy, uh, I had grown up in the church. Family was always kind of around um, church circles, but... Uh, and so I believed in Jesus, like I knew God was real, never really doubted that, but kind of came to a crisis of faith moment when I was 16, where um, some stuff was happening in my life at that point that was really testing 
is, is this my faith or my parents' faith? And, uh, you know, like all good things, it started at band camp. And uh, I was there, and I was just kind of confiding in a friend. And I was like, I'm just like totally lost right now. And, uh, and he was kind of going through the same thing. His name was Adam. And, and we both were processing together. And so that night I went home. And it, it, genuinely, this is what it was. It was one of those stories. I, I opened up my Bible, and it opens to Romans, like Romans 1. I'm like, well, okay, I'll read this. And I got through Romans 1, and then I kept going till Romans 7. And Romans 7 undid me. Uh, Romans 7 was one of those moments where I, I very clearly uh, just felt the hand of God saying, this is you. Uh, and more importantly, this is me. Like that God was true. He was real. Uh, the, he wasn't just some kind of figment of my imagination. And so by the time I got to Romans 8, I was eager because I was, I was needing that. Um, there's therefore no condemnation. And that was it. I mean, genuinely, I, I, we got done with that, and, 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 and it was one of those things where I was like, okay, this is real. <laughs> like, and it changed the course of my life kind of immediately. Um, I broke up with my girlfriend at the time. Uh, my whole friend group was, they were, you know, it all changed overnight. I, I suddenly became friends with guys that I just previously made fun of, um, you know, the Christian dudes uh, that kind of were stinky. <laughs> And, uh, and they became my close friends. And I was like, I don't know how this happened. And, and a whole new circle began to form. And, and almost from the beginning, I was looking for how do I build a group? And how do we, how do we, how do we get this message out? And, uh, and that's kind of how it began to form. So, and there's more stories I could get into, but yeah. Romans 7. Romans 7. We just got done teaching through that. Romans 7 of all chapters. I love that. I love that. Yeah, and Romans of course, 8. Romans 8. The beginning of Romans 8. That was, that was the assurance piece, but I knew in Romans 7 that it was me. Like, that's, like, that's who he was talking about, was me. And I couldn't deny it. You were 16? 16. That's I just tried 16. I had such a similar experience at 17, mm-hmm. but for me it was the book of Hebrews. Yeah. I sat down <laughs> and knew nothing about the Bible, read through the book of Hebrews. Yeah. Got to the end, and I'm like, I don't understand any of this, but I understand this. But he's, but he's true. He's real. Yeah, and I can't get I can't away, get from, away from this. <laughs> I can't get away. And it's that shared sentiment of, I can't get away, and I don't want to, but yeah. I'm grateful I know I can't. Right. You know, there's, a, there's something actually yep. beautiful about the constraining, um, and it's because you know you're someone's, and that's actually really a, a beautiful thing. Yeah, that's how you go from six months earlier being a drunkard <laughs> to six months later for me. Yeah, doing my ministry on the streets of Dubuque, Iowa, sharing the gospel at festivals where people are just drunk. Yep. Who does that? Yeah. Well, okay. So, like, what ended up happening for me is I started going to the the, the you know lunchroom tables. You guys, you know, lunchroom. Okay. Uh, in high school, you would sit typically with your closest friends. Well, I started being like, hey, I'm going to go to just every table I can find. And, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to start talking to people about Jesus. Totally, totally incompetent, totally terrible. But a whole group started like following me. And so it like began something. And so you had people that weren't Christians trying to tell others about Jesus. It was really, it was an interesting thing because that's what guys do. They just kind of join the bandwagon. Yeah. And you're like, wait, you don't even know Jesus. And they're like, yeah, but I thought I'd try. <laughs> it's like, let's oh, meet Jesus right. first. Yeah. So that, that all began within like months. Of, of that transformation for me. Yeah. 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 I love that. <laughs> All right. So when did church planting enter the picture for you and why did that become a passion for you? 
Great question. So in 2007, I was at Illinois State University, go Redbirds, uh, and there was really, that, that fell so flat. <laughs> what on earth? I, I, this is why we need coffee. Sportsing, <laughs> sportsing. Yeah. So good, good, good reference. I, you know, I was at Illinois State, and it was one of those things where I was, I'd been feeling just this tremendous internal pressure to tell more and more people about Jesus. I was at a church, um, not a bad church, but I noticed that there was just a huge lack of emphasis of reaching our generation, which at that point was just starting to, to burble up as the millennials. And I had this burden. I was like, man, what would it be like to be a church that goes after millennials? And what would it be in particular to go after young people uh, with young people? Um, at that point, the only knowledge I had of pastors were elderly people, in particular elderly men. Like that was all I had. And I was like, man, what would it look like to be young and on mission? And I heard a sermon around that time that word for word said, this is, this is what church planting is. This is why it's significant. This is why we do it. It was the first time I ever heard of that language, like church planting. That didn't mean anything to me. I was like, what are we planting? I'm not a farmer. I'm not in the field. Like what, what are we doing? And yet he specified everything that was on my heart. And it was like, okay, that, that's it. That's actually, that's exactly what I've been feeling burdened to do. Um, and I still didn't know how to go about it. You know, I was getting my undergrad in education and I was like, well, cool. You know, I'm just going to, maybe I'll teach for a few years, maybe I'll be a principal for a few years and we'll see what happens. But that was kind of the seed and the genesis of it was mm-hmm. 2007. Yeah. Yeah. Spring of seven. So when you showed up here in 2009, you were already passionate about church planting specifically. Yes. Yes. Oh yeah. Very. Yeah. And, and as you guys can guess, I mean, his description of going from table to table, that's just like everywhere he goes. Um, even in 2009, when I first met him, he was out at Greenville. Yes. And he had a, a group of like 40 people. Yeah. Out. He's like, I'm going to start Campus Crusade for Christ at Greenville. I'm yeah. like, okay. But it wasn't really Campus Crusade for Christ. Like, I, I, no. I went under that moniker, but it was basically like a small church that was totally dysfunctional. Yeah. <laughs> There's no elders. There's no leadership. It's just me preaching for an hour and a half. And so I, Brian basically took the name without any of the structure or accountability and was just like, let's do this. Yes. Which I think is absolutely... And you came in. I did. And you're like, I'm going to lovingly shepherd you. You need to shut this down and yeah. come under the elders. <laughs> that happened. Yeah, that happened. That happened, and it needed to. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I took Brian. I was like, dude, I get it, man. You want to yeah. plant a church. You're just aching to do it, but you're not ready. He's like, okay. Yep. I mean, I can't explain. So Brian now is so mature compared to what he was. I mean, th- th- what the excitement you see now at that point was just unbridled. Yeah, yeah. Like he was the kind of guy that got excited and just was ready to burn the world down. Yeah. That moment. Enjoy, but yes. Yes. Yeah. 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 Like, yeah. like just, well, he would think he was doing good, but he would often burn things down in the Correct. process. P- people were getting hurt. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't see that. I was getting hurt. I was yeah. hurting others, but there was a tremendous amount of just immature passion, joy. Yeah. And, you know, you saw that. And, and I think what was cool about that is that instead of like, you know, a lot of guys, you get a young man who's just really fiery and, and one of two things is going to happen. Uh, you're either going to, you're going to put him away because he's dangerous. Yeah. Instead of building yeah. onto him. Yeah. Or you're going to give him the keys to the kingdom and he's not ready. Right. And both of those, I mean, we see that time and time again. Yeah. Where really what he needs is mentoring, coaching, loving. Yeah. And learning. Yeah. And a guy like you, what you need is you continually need a mountain in front of you. You need something to climb and someone to direct you 
and coach you and help you grow through the process of yeah. learning how to discern yeah. and how to do it with health. Yeah. So that was kind of our first step, right? When I was like, hey, why don't you start a youth ministry for Trailhead? Yes, that was totally the we first We didn't step. have any youth. No, nope. except for your kids. <laughs> My kids. <laughs> My kids, yeah. yeah. Lauren still talks about that really weird feeling she had dropping Victoria off at the high school to go prayer walk with you. And she's like, is this a good idea? It was just... It was okay. So to context, I'm 24. Uh, it was just me and Victoria, like right. literally for about an hour and a half, walking around the school together, praying. Yeah. She's 17. Yeah, yeah. I didn't think anything of it, and yeah. you guys were rightly thinking, "What's going on here?" I was like, "It's all right. He's safe." <laughs> yeah, because I didn't know. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so yeah. you ended up starting our first youth ministry. Our first we did. We grew to like 30, 35, 40 kids. Yeah, we grew it very quickly. None um, of them from Trailhead, or none at least of them very were few. Yeah, yeah. Uh, your daughter Esther was strangely enough our biggest inviter. Yeah, I mean she brought probably a third of that group, um, yep. and so yeah, very early on, you know, so Steve has me push put away the the college ministry stuff uh, for a season. Hey, come under the elders, come under, be under authority, start this youth group, uh, and Melinda and I did, and it was one of those things where it grew well beyond what we were expecting. Uh, and I was, I was working in St. Louis at the time. I was teaching at a, at a private Christian school. And so it was all done just as lay activity. Mm-hmm. And I was taking them on trips. I mean, we were going down to like New Orleans and we were going to, and that was all just passion. Like it was, it was just passion. It was like, I didn't, I didn't question it. Yeah. Like that was just, Hey, how can we get more people to, to meet Jesus? Yeah. 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 Well, that's the thing is, is, is from a leadership perspective, I can't, I can't coach passion. I can coach competency, but I can't coach passion. If somebody has passion, I can help them grow in the competency of channeling that in a healthy way. And with Brian, it was boundless passion. Um, you had a pretty rough, not, oh, not. Oh, it could be. It was at times. So tell them, tell them about our first, uh, our first trip. <laughs> so first trip, uh, so this is, it's, it's actually interesting because it was in Phoenix, Arizona. It was. Which is exactly where we're going. And it was at a church that I'm now going to be doing a residency with. Isn't that insane? Yeah. So this was 10 years, 11 years ago? It was 2010. So spring of 10. Yep. Yeah. And we go to this church. I have a conference there. And I like to take people with me Mm -hmm. that I'm usually investing in. or Want to get no to Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so I invite Brian to come with me on this because I think this will be a good opportunity for me to get to know him a little bit better. That's it. It's a church planting conference there. So... Simple enough, book your flight, go together, that kind of stuff. Well, yeah, he's supposed to pick me up. Sadly, uh, this man slept in, and <laughs> because I was up way too late the night before trying to spend as much time as I could with Melinda because... <laughs> <laughs> they were dating. We were dating. Yeah. And and so I, I, I wake up, and my phone is just, like, blown up, and I'm like, oh, my goodness, what have I done? Like, Steve's abandoned at the airport, did he even get there... Uh, it's like eight o'clock. The flight left literally, I think at like eight. Mm-hmm. So I'm scrambling. I'm freaking out. I call Lauren and I'm like, can you drive me to the airport? And she, <laughs> yeah, I can't. <laughs> so I, she, I drive to their house. She takes me to the airport. I don't even know how I get honestly to Phoenix. Like, I don't know who I had to bribe or convince or the, if they just looked in my eyes and were like, this man needs to be on a plane, you know, it, I don't he know. missed his flight. I he missed lived. my flight completely. Yeah. And I got to Phoenix. So I got up super early in the morning and uh, was was like, all right, where is this dude? Yeah. Like he's supposed to pick me up 10 minutes ago, five minutes ago. And I, you know, a little, I'm good with a little bit of leeway. Little but text. we start, we, and I'm like, all right, text, text, call. call. Pretty sound like Lauren. 
this dude's a flake. Um, you're gonna have to. I'm gonna. You know, you're gonna have to drive me. Yeah. And uh, I don't know what's up with him, but I think this one's done. Yeah. And uh, done. Yeah. 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 And so I had a layover, and in the layover, I got a text. Uh, he woke up. He's gonna try to get there. I'm like, how's he gonna get there? He missed his flight. I'm like, all right, if he gets here, I'll pick him up. Yep. That was it. That was it. And you got there. And I got there. I'm like, all right, I'll pick you up. Yep. Climbs off the plane. He's wearing a pair of shorts with holes in them. Yeah. It, this is a Baptist conference. Yeah. And my butt's hanging out pretty bad. Yeah. Yeah. And that, by the way, that's all I had. That's all he had. I just had short. I didn't have a, I had a backpack. It had nothing in it. <laughs> so there's no extra clothes. There was no conference notebook. There was no put your best foot forward. I got out of bed with holes in my pants and I flew to Phoenix to a Baptist conference. And we had to go straight to the conference yeah. because he was late. Yeah. And so he spent the day in his holy shorts. My holy shorts. Meeting people. So happy to be there. Yeah. Just right. Just passionate. <laughs> eager. I took him to, I took him to <laughs> Old Navy. Old Navy to get some clothes. And it comes out, I think, with like athletic gym shorts. shorts. Yeah, yeah, it comes out with athletic shorts. shorts. It wasn't yeah. much of an upgrade. And, no, because uh, I was broke. <laughs> I had no money. So I bought like $10, $10 gym shorts, and I was like, well, these will work. All right, so it's just I want you to catch this. Yeah. The, the Lord's humor, right? Here we are 11 years later. We're sending him. He's actually going to Phoenix to plant a church, yeah. and he's going to be doing a residency yeah. with the church that was hosting that church planting conference. Yeah. And uh, if they had looked at him 10 years ago, 11 years ago, which oh. I'm sure they did. Oh, they were, you know, it's like, mm, who is this guy? Anyway, yeah, I love the Lord the way the way the Lord loops these stories yeah. around. So that's a lot of time, right? Between uh, 2010, mm-hmm. 2009, 2009 when we met, and now, right? You're a guy that I'll say by nature is impatient. Mm-hmm. You know, on the pace scale, mm-hmm. you're. You know, when I met you, you were the you were the the fire aim ready guy, not the ready aim fire. Correct. Right. Yeah, you know, shoot true. first, and then like, what was I aiming at? Right. Yeah. Um, Ask questions later. Yeah. And um, so, how did that? To explain a little bit about this ten year gap. What in the world is that about? Yeah. Um, if you would have told me, if you would have sat me down in two thousand nine, two thousand ten, and said, "Hey, Brian, you're going to still be here in ten years," I, I would have been like. No, you, you're reading the wrong manual. Like, I'm here for a year, and then I'm planting a church. And uh, the Lord in his grace struck that down. And what he, instead, what he made happen is he rooted me here for long enough so that you got to see the good, the bad, and the ugly, mm-hmm. and then even longer mm-hmm. to work through it. Yeah. So... You know, one of the things that I can tell you right now, um, our timeline, especially for me, who's more of an impatient person, uh, oftentimes what the Lord did there is he, he, through his grace, showed me I didn't even get it. I didn't know the questions I didn't know to ask. And by being rooted and grounded in a place for 10 years, it forced me to be seen, it forced me to be known, and it forced me to deal. Um, you know, think of Paul. Now, Paul... He spent 14 years, you know, before ever entering the field, just 14 years being taught, trained, and built into. Mm-hmm. I had 12. Mm-hmm. And, and I honestly think that's probably most of us. Um, there's things we don't know. There's challenges we haven't faced. And there's, there's faith that's needed to overcome if you're going to lead. Um, 
if you're going out with your own strength, which is all I had, that's all I knew at that point. At 24, 25, I knew my strength. I didn't know my weakness, and I didn't know my dependence. I had not gotten to the end of myself and then been pushed beyond that. And I think, man, what a disaster it would have been to leave and lead thinking I could do it on my own, thinking I'll figure this out. I mean, I can't think of a worse thing. So honestly, the reason we're here is his grace. Yeah. Yep. And now you can look back and see, like, oh, his grace stopped me from doing the things I wanted to do when I wanted to do them mm-hmm. and has kept me here. Yeah. Yeah. In the moment, it feels awful. <laughs> In the moment, it feels terrible. It's like, God, your plan sucks Yeah. royally, and yet there are moments where you're like, you get a kind of inside look, and you're like, oh, I couldn't imagine yeah. not having gone through this. Yeah. So a story that many of you know, um, you know, when I'm working with young leaders, I'm continually assessing um, character. You can't teach character. Character is what is formed in you when you make wise sacrificial choices over a long period of time in sacrificial situations. That's how character is formed. And so I can't, can't coach it. It has to, it has to be something that is formed by God in you through life. And, um, but I look for the seeds of it, right? Because when you're dealing with young and immature leaders, you, you have to discern, is this somebody that is going to grow in the right direction? And, uh, early on, there were, there were absolute signs of what I think are the most critical pieces of character in Brian, specifically humility. Uh, I don't think there's any more single greater piece of character than humility. I, I think it is the foundation of the rest of, of, of all character development. And um, uh, give you a brief story. Early on when, when he was dating Melinda, um, that was a kind of a rocky dating situation. Yeah, it was awful. Yeah, it was... Mainly because of me. I was leading yeah. like an idiot. Well, yeah. you just were like a stallion, bucking and kicking and fighting and ready to run. And yes, Melinda was like, whoa. What is going on? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. And, and you weren't real sensitive to your environment. You weren't real sensitive no. to her. You weren't real... No. Because you were just so passionate. And there came a point where Melinda came over to Lauren and I's house and... and um, she, we were just talking and, and, you know, uh, she started crying and we're like, all right, what's going on? And, uh, she's like, I don't think I can marry this man. They were engaged. Um, she's like, I don't, he, I don't think he sees me. He kind of feels a little bit like a bully at times. I mean, this is just, and I was like, whoa. All right. So that night I came over. Yes, she did. And said, you're, you, you need to break it off. You need to break off your engagement, which I don't know if you guys, I'm guessing you can guess how monumental that is for a young man, especially as passionate and driven as Brian. Oh my. <laughs> <laughs> like the worst thing that you could hear in that moment would be, you need to call this off. Yeah. Oh yeah. So he did. Yeah. That's the thing. That's what we need to hear is he did. Like he sat there, he was broken and, and he's, he's like, I didn't see it. I don't see it. I want to see it. Help me. So he that he broke it off and uh, and committed himself to re-pursuing Melinda's heart and learning to be more sensitive and learning. And uh, and six months later, I had the privilege of officiating their wedding. Yeah. 
and um, yeah. uh, still one of the most. I mean, just I've I've never profound. heard of it since or before. We do premarital with a lot of college couples, and yeah, and I always share that story. I'm like, just so you know, uh, we called off our wedding on our first premarital night. Mm -hmm. That could happen, yep. and I'll be honest with you. Most of them are just like, "Oh my!" Like that can't be an option, right? Uh, but the truth is, everything has to be on the table with Jesus. He's either better or he's not. Yeah, yeah. So he he you know he showed up. He wanted to be the 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 hero on the on the white stallion. Uh, he and and the problem was he was running over Melinda on his horse, and so he had to get off his horse, and he had to learn how to walk with her. Yep. And, uh, and see her. And he did. And, um, and that, like, impressed me. Um, I've, I've had to confront a lot of people and invite a lot of people to humility. And, and it's always amazing to me when people respond. Um, especially the hard way. And here's the thing, over the years, that same pattern has exhibited itself over and over and over again in Brian's life. Uh, I didn't realize that many years later he would be inviting me into that same process. Now I didn't have to postpone my, my, um, no. my engagement, but it, we had a very, very rocky, um, this, this 10 year relationship. There, there were some seasons there where, where Brian was like, you feel like dad and I want to get out of the house. I'm ready to leave. Correct. Yeah. And there were times where I'm like, you feel like a kid that I'm ready to send, like get out. Um, and, uh, and there's a lot of stories that we're not going to share this morning. I will tell you that, uh, it came to a head at the end of 2019, um, just a couple of years ago. Uh, we, from 2016 to 2019, the, the tension in our relationship grew to a point that it was almost unbearable. And, uh, and I was a hair's breadth away from firing him. Um, like I had already made up my mind and, uh, that it's just time go plant your church, get out. And, um, uh, the elders, praise God. Um, called me back very gently, but very clearly called me to listen instead of act. And it was through that process of listening that the Lord showed me that I, I had lost my humility. I had lost my ability. I was on my horse and I was ready to run Brian over. And, um, and so I got off my horse and, um, uh, and that was a really sweet season of reconciliation. It was costly. It was very costly. Um, but it was a process that we had to work through. The, the only way to get through conflict is to go through the conflict, right? There's, there's only one way to grow, and that is to work through the hard stuff, learn how to see each other, love each other, value each other through the midst of it, and then rediscover each other on the other side. And for us, that was, a, I'm talking about years. This was not easy. Um, but Holy cow. Uh, reconciliation is sweet. And, it's uh, very sweet. And the relationship we have now, the friendship we have now, the partnership we have now is something that we could have never had um, if we had not gone through that, if the Lord hadn't worked through that in both of our hearts. Um, so now we're getting ready to send you out to Phoenix. Yes. Why Phoenix? Yeah. Great question. And if we've done support meetings with you, you've probably heard the answer. Uh, it, it's not... The typical answer of like, well, we did, you know, did a bunch of research and found out. Honestly, it started with the conversation with Brian Mitchell, which is the most random thing ever. Hmm. Out there, when we opened this building in 2016, we had these bounce houses, and he was hmm. there for a weekend, and we were talking, and he's like, well, where are you looking to plant? And I was like, well, and I shared some areas that were local. 
He's like, well, what about out west? And I was like, well, I've, I've only ever been to, you know, to Phoenix for my honeymoon. And he's like, well, you don't want to plant there. It's too hot. And, uh, I was like, yeah, you're right. <laughs> it's kind of hot. And so we talked about Flagstaff and I just, I just kind of like put that away in my mind for, oh, for years and just prayed on it. You know, you know, not, not even daily, but just prayed on it kind of weekly and monthly. And over the course of like two years, it wasn't letting up. Mm. But really what kind of solidified Phoenix was the fall of 2019 for me was one of those seasons they call it the darkness of the soul, uh, the long night. We're, we're basically, and if you're a Christian long enough, you'll go through this. Um, you, lose, you lose everything that you could, could rest in. Uh, your ability to, to fight through, your ability to think through, your ability to, 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 to work it out. All of those things fail. And I actually do believe the Lord allows it. And I think what he does in those moments is he calls us to greater and greater dependency on him. Well, for me, in fall of 19, I, I had physical ailments that were keeping me from basically doing my job, uh, from, from working in, in the school uh, or from being a student at, at uh, seminary, from doing worship ministry. And I, the whole bottom fell out for me. And my heart, my emotion, my mind, I was wrecked for months and in that time, just a lot of honest prayers of like, God, whatever you want to do, whatever you want to do in my life, I'm yours. And he began to teach me that he was better mm-hmm. uh, even than illness. He was better than even family. He was better than even being a church planter. Mm-hmm. He's better. And during that, the confirmation for me of Phoenix was just loud and clear. You're going. If you live, you're going. And I was like, okay, I'm living, and now we're going. <laughs> and I, I don't want to trivialize that. That season was awful. And if you're in a season like that, you know, let, let talk, reach out to one of the pastors here and, and let us walk with you. Yeah. Uh, you're going to need that. You're going to need some people that can walk with you through those hard, hard seasons. Yeah. So you shared some interesting stats with me. Um, just as we're kind of wrapping this up, tell yeah. us why church planting is so important to the mission of the gospel yeah so why why plant versus revitalize why plant versus just bolster the existing churches why go out and do this new thing new building new the reason is there's no more effective evangelistic tool that we know of in the modern era than planting churches there is no greater evangelistic tool that we know of than planting churches Uh, for a new church 60 to 80 percent of their people are going to be people who are not involved in church, right? For a church that's over 10 years, that number uh, is basically 10 percent, which means 80 to 90 percent of their growth is just coming from other churches within the area, okay? Uh, Why is that? Well, new churches, church plants in particular, they tend to be able to focus more acutely on the needs of the community Mm -hmm. because they don't have a grown-up congregation they're caring for. Now, what I don't want you to see is like, well, then every church should be a new church plan. Well, no, because there's health and stability for existing churches that are meeting the needs of the people within that church. And oftentimes, church new church plants are actually good conduits for existing churches because you'll get a person that comes up, uh, becomes a Christian in that church plant, and then they're like, you know what, I think I want something more stable, something a little more traditional, something that has a little more meat, and they end up coming into a more established church, and that's good. That's not a bad thing. So that's the first thing. The second thing is in, in, in U.S. history, 
Uh, we've had some moments and seasons within our history where we even had lower church attendance than we do today. You, know, you really saw this church planting movement kick off after the uh, Civil War, so you know, 1860s, mid-1860s, all the way through roughly World War I, so 1918. There was a huge church planting movement where the amount of churches per person more than tripled between that time. And, uh, and, and it began to stagnate around there, and around World War II it began to really decline the church planting movement, and it didn't actually start picking up until the late 90s. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the most effective tool. And, and I'll just give you some stats for our personal plan. You know, as we've been raising support, 50% of what's been raised has come from millennials. Mm-hmm. They make up 70% of our giving team. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just in case you're wondering, less than 20% of our givers come from Trailhead. And half of those givers are our elders. So <laughs> like our elder team is literally most of the people giving from Trailhead. Mm-hmm. And that's by design. That was intentional. We, we know you guys are on mission. We want you to be on mission here. And by you being faithful to this church, it allows this church to be faithful to us. Mm-hmm. But it also allows us to just constantly spread the seed to those who we've done ministry with over the last 10 years. I mean, I've been in high school ministry, college ministry. We've got people on our team who came to know Jesus within the last three years, who are now giving sacrificially to our church plant. Mm-hmm. And that's what you guys are partnering in when you partner with Trailhead and you partner faithfully. Yeah. And so that's why we, that's why planting is yeah. So I, And I think as a general rule, just kind of pull this out, general rule, church plants are much more effective at reaching people that are unchurched. Church plants are much more effective at reaching people that are unbelievers or are, we'll call them de-churched or unchurched. Um, churches, when they become established, just by, by the rule of thumb, by the time you get to our age, 12, 15, and older, you tend to move into the sheep swapping game instead of the sheep making game. And I hate to put it that way, but it's real. Uh, often large churches go through seasons of getting new people, but they're just transfers from other churches. And I don't mean to, to minimize that, but, right. but often, um, you'll see a community where it's like, oh man, we're really growing. That's great. How many baptisms have you had? Not, no, they all came from that church. (laughs) Oh, all right, you're really growing, right? I wonder how long it'll be before you go grow another church, right? Because that's the way it works. You get groups that come in from other churches and eventually they're going to become dissatisfied with you and they're going to become a group that goes to another church. There's no way around that. That, That's part of living in a consumeristic society. That's part of living in a, in a complex society where, where, you know, you're becoming, church plant is all about potential. When you move past that, then people are dealing with the reality. And, and so there's plenty to take a lot of joy in and there's plenty to be dissatisfied with. Church plants have a phenomenal opportunity to create new communities. Because churches, listen, you're not planting people, you're planting the gospel. You go into a new community, you plant the gospel, and the church is what grows out of that. That's what's so powerful about church planting. You're there with a vision. You're there with a message. You're there with a proclamation. And then the Spirit uses that to gather a group of people that are excited about that message, right? Not about the worship music, because a lot of times you're not even sure you're going to have it on Sunday. Yeah, the guy may not know how to play. The right. girl probably has to They're not there skills. for comfort, because they've got to help set up chairs and tear them down, yes. right? Yes. Uh, I love that stage. <laughs> and it's part of the reason I'm so passionate about for us to stay part of church planting, because I think one of the ways we, I, we're not going to become stale is by staying connected to that vital passion of the sending of the gospel. So that's why we're excited to partner with with Brian. To let you guys know, uh, one final thing, um, and then we're going to wrap it up here, but 
Uh, Brian did come to Trailhead Church, and he, as he did his fundraising, he had to raise about three hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, I think the total amount is now three fifty. Three hundred fifty thousand dollars. Yeah. Um, four years. And, uh, and and we knew Trailhead was going to give and partner with Brian. Uh, Trailhead is a church, not just the elders. Each of the individual elders have as well. Um, but um, he he came to us and said, "Hey, would you guys? I'll let you know what my request is." So the elders met. We prayed about it. We're, my elder team is very conservative. We, we tend to give from what we have, not from what we think we will have. And so we looked at what we had, and we're like, what's the number we can come up with? And we came up with a very specific number that we could give Brian. Brian came in a couple weeks later and said, hey, here's my request. This is what I need to be fully funded. This is what I need at this point. And those numbers were identical. I mean, talk about the leading of the Spirit. It was unreal. $54,000, yep. which is the single greatest gift we have given to any single yeah work of the gospel and we're excited to be able to do it and that is through the generosity of trailhead church that is that is through the faithful giving over the years that's not money we think we're going to have that is money we have already set aside for the mission of the gospel through church planting and so that is through the faithfulness of our church Um, and so thank you for being part of that that is uh, a sign of our shared commitment and shared investment in the work i mean seriously it the exact same numbers, and we had no idea. Yeah, I mean, it was one of those like, okay, the Lord's confirming this. Brian, thank you for coming up here. Thanks yeah. for sharing your story. Thanks for thank you. inviting us in. Um, uh, let me pray for you real fast, and then we will wrap this up. Lord, I thank you for my brother. I thank you for Melinda. I thank you for his beautiful kids. I thank you for this call that you put on his life that I know, Lord, is going to both um, cost them more than they know they can give, but also bless them with more than they thought they could get. I pray, Lord, that as they move through this difficult season of being between here and there, of moving into this stage of homelessness, this stage of uncertainty, this stage of, of, of stress, that you will guard their hearts, guard their marriage, guard their family, bless them uh, with continual assurances that they are yours and that you have a glorious future ahead for them. And then we pray, Lord, that you will work even through this to continue to shape them for the mission they have ahead of them, that you will bless uh, the community they're moving into richly through the work of the gospel. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Thanks, brother. Love you. All right, you guys. um, By way of application, final word, and then we will uh, close in prayer and share communion. Um, What am I calling the church to do? What am I calling us to do in response to this opportunity. I am calling us to do the same thing that the um, the church in Antioch did. You know, they were in prayer and, and, and God's like, hey, send these guys out. And then what did they do? They fasted and prayed, right? They, they weren't like, all right, cool. Like they were like, okay, now we have direction. We fasted and prayed and we got direction. Now that we have direction, let's fast and pray for the direction we're about to take. So um, we are going to be sending Brian and his team out, commissioning them on December 5th. Uh, that's going to be the, the official ordination day, the day when we lay hands on Brian and Melinda, we bless them, we send them out, and, and, and their team. I'm asking us as a church between now and then to have a season of fasting and prayer where we commit ourselves to the spiritual work of helping prepare them for the work that's ahead of them, Okay. You're like fasting. I don't even heard of that. Okay, so fasting, generally fasting, the whole point of fasting is to give up something uh, that distracts you um, so that 
like, like it's usually food, right? So you can give up your lunch. That's great. Every day when you get hungry at lunch, you're like, oh, that's my prompting to pray. So you take the time you would normally eat to go and pray. But it doesn't have to be food. You can fast from the radio in your car. And every time you get in your car, instead of turning on the radio, oh yeah, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray for Trailhead. I'm going to pray for Phoenix. I'm going to pray for Edwardsville. I'm going to pray for Brian and Melinda. I'm going to pray for whatever the Spirit leads me to pray for in connection specifically with this mission. So you can give up social media, the radio, talk, whatever. You, you following me? Like it, 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 You pick what it's going to be, but pick something between now and, and December 5th when we pray over and send out this team so that it just prompts you every single day to pray for Brian and Melinda and to pray for the mission of the gospel, to pray for Phoenix and to pray for Trailhead. Okay, that's my, that's my ask. Let me close this in a word of prayer and then we're going to share communion and then we're going to close worshiping in song. Father, I thank you that you have entrusted to us this incredible mission of the gospel and the incredible message of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, that it is because he died and rose again, because he was our savior and our substitute, because he took our place in sin so that we could share in his glory and his blessing, because he was our substitute in judgment so that we could stand in his righteousness. Uh, man, we just thank you that this victorious message has been entrusted to us to share with others, that this grace has been poured out into our lives so that we could receive all of its blessing, but having been so fully blessed to then pour that grace out into the lives of others through generosity, through the giving of ourselves that others might receive the goodness we have received. Lord, make us a generous church. Shape within our culture a spirit of generosity, a yearning to be a greater blessing. Because knowing, Lord, that, that we can never outgive you. We, we can never outgrace the God of grace. So free us, Lord, into this. And bless Brian and Melinda. And bless this launch team that is coming around them to go out with them. And, and bless this forming community that is even now, Spirit, being prepared by you to receive the planting of the gospel. We pray that there would be a rich harvest of many that are far from you brought near, that there might be testimonies of joy, testimonies of salvations, testimonies of, of, of people's lives being changed, marriages being healed, grace being, being set loose to bring the power of resurrection in this realm and in this world of death. Lord, we pray for this. We yearn for this. And I pray, Lord, that as we uh, take this season of fasting to pray, that you would work through our prayers, not only to prepare Melinda and Brian, but you would do it to prepare our hearts, that we might receive the blessing even as we move into the sacrifice of giving. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.